Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. As a Bible teacher, I feel overwhelmed this morning coming to a passage like this. I feel maybe like a I don't know, like a rock climber at Yosemite or something, or a surfer at Pipeline. I don't really know what to do with myself. Beyond that, this is one of the richest passages of Scripture, I think, in all of the Bible. Uh, Ephesians is, is kind of privy to rich sections of Scripture. And so this is one of those that I, I spent extra time praying today, not on what to say, but on what not to say. It's one of those. There's just so much to be explored here in this incredible section. You know when you go to a restaurant and you want to try everything on the menu? You're like, I don't know about you, but I get major like indecisive FOMO in those situations. Um, and I just kind of have to close my eyes and just pick and not think too hard about it. Um, I did more than that for the sermon prep, but um, I, I definitely felt that way a bit. Like there's just so much, but there's only so much time and so much room on the plate, but... Uh, I do believe the Lord has some really cool things to show us uh, this morning. So each week as we're going through Ephesians, we're basically looking at each section through the lens of life in Christ, that position we have through the gospel, and learning to understand what that position means. That, that's what the good news of Jesus is. It's not just about your performance. It's about your position through what he's done on the cross. And, and really the goal of the Christian life is to live in and from what, where we're already positioned, in Jesus. Amen? You with me? So that's what Ephesians is all about. I got one amen. We'll, we'll do okay, though. All right? Um, that's what Ephesians is really unpacking, living in and from our positions in Christ. So every section that we're in, we're looking at a different aspect of that life in Christ. And today we want to talk about what, what Paul leads us into, the Holy Spirit leads us into, a crucial aspect of life in Jesus. And we're going to call this prayer in Christ prayer in Christ. Um, Verses 14 through 21 here in chapter 3 is more than just a letter. This is a prayer that Paul is communicating to God and to this church on their behalf. Uh, He's praying it to God. This is the second prayer that Paul prays in the book of Ephesians for this community. What an incredible prayer. I felt somewhat intimidated, like leading us in prayer after reading. I'm like, okay, I guess let's pray now, and I'll try to top Paul's prayer. Um, It's just such an incredible, incredible prayer. Uh, When I say prayer, let me say this first and foremost. When we talk about prayer, we live in a a time um, and a a cultural moment where I think definition around terms, especially biblical terms, is really important, especially something like prayer that's kind of used as a a catch-all in our culture for like positive vibes. Like that's usually today when someone's like sick or something's wrong, you're like, hey, bro, I'll be praying for you. And even, by the way, this isn't like out there. This is what Christians do. We're like, hey, bro, positive vibes and energy your way. I'll be praying for you. Rarely ever do we, do we I think, take enough heart to what we mean and what we should mean when we say we're praying. And certainly our culture, I think, needs help with this. Again, we're in a, a time where there's a lot of sediment, but very little definition. We live in a culture that is all about like having faith in your faith or like praying your thoughts and prayers. But it's amazing how much, and it's even somewhat acceptable. I know there's some debate today around like crisis events and culture and saying you're gonna pray. But by and large, like atheists or not, if you tell someone, hey, you're in my thoughts and prayers, they receive that as something that's like kind and nice. But the second you mention God, 
Like, hey, I'm praying, I'm bowing my knee, as Paul says, to God the Father in heaven for you. It's like, well, why are you getting all weird? Like, it's the same thing, though, according to Scripture, right? So let's define what we mean by prayer. Here's, a, here's the simplest definition. You can go much deeper than this. But if we can simplify a definition of prayer, we'll just talk about this, communicating with God. That's what we mean. Communicating or maybe communicating to God. That's what we see Paul doing in this passage. Prayer, according to Paul, is not just positive thinking, positive energy, good vibes, love your way, but prayer is an act of communication. It's intentionally directed communication to a listening God. Okay, Think of what I'm doing right now. I, I'm Through the, 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 the means of a microphone and through your attention to God's word, I'm intentionally communicating with you. I'm not just throwing out energies in the room. I'm taking time to, to focus some words and thoughts and whatever God has put on my heart towards, towards you. Um, and this is what prayer is. Now, it's not hard when you read the Gospels especially, right, and you, you look at the life of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, it's not hard to conclude uh, that prayer, communicating with God, is a central and essential aspect of discipleship to Jesus. And we could say in relationship with God. It's the, it's, in many ways, it's the language and function of relationship with God. It's that essential. I mean, you think about it in terms of communication. If you were to ask me, Andrew, like, how's, how's your relationship with, with Brittany, my, my wife? You know, how, how's your guys' relationship? You've been married 14 years, which is crazy. And, you know, you seem, you seem happy. And what if I said, you know, it's really good. It's really good. I haven't, I haven't talked to her in four years got kids, so we, don't, we actually don't even talk. But it's like, but, I, but our relationship's great. I mean, you'd be like, no. Um, communication is central to any healthy functioning relationship, right? And so we see that in scripture, that with God, like we can't really say our relationship with God is going great if we're not communicating to him and with him. Um, if anything, um, the degree and the state and the health and the strength of your relationship with God is directly connected to your prayer life, your, 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 your communication with him. Now, uh, Jesus taught this. Like I said, it's not hard to see this in the teachings of Jesus. Here's a, uh, a reference from Luke 18 where Jesus tells a parable, and the parable existed to communicate. Jesus said that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. We see this as central to discipleship. Jesus looked on at our lives and he's like, hey, the thing that you always ought to be doing day in and day out, moment to moment, is you, you ought to be seeking God and communicating with him. Uh, the disciples saw this in the life of Jesus. They didn't just hear about it from him. They didn't just you know, learn prayer from his words. They learned prayer mostly from his life. Most of the time, the way that they learned it from his life is they would wake up and Jesus would be missing. Like, Jesus, where are you? I love that. We studied the Gospel of Mark last year, and there's that great story where, like, everybody's looking for Jesus, and no one can find him. And the disciples finally find him, and they're like, Jesus, we've been trying to reach you about your car's extended warranty. Where have you been, okay? Where, where were you? Everyone's been seeking Jesus. And where did they find him? They found him praying early in the morning, alone with the Father. They saw this. They saw prayer in, in the disciples in Jesus' life as the driving, listen, the driving force of everything in his life. Prayer wasn't like 
a category of spiritual disciplines. It was like the oxygen of, of his faith that he breathed in, and it's what carried him through each day. It's what carried him through each moment. It's what carried him through the Garden of Gethsemane to go to the cross. Jesus was driven by prayer. So the disciples noticing this in Luke 11 this is like the best question they ever asked Jesus. Some of the questions they ask him are selfish in motive and Jesus will rebuke their questions because it reveals what's in their heart. But this is, this is a good question they ask him. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Luke 11, I love this. And then Jesus goes on to list the Lord's prayer. I mean, just this gives it great insight. First of all, it shows that the disciples like us need help with prayer. Anybody else feel that way? Like I, I can give you 10 ways that I need help with prayer. I just want to welcome you to the human journey and struggle of learning to pray. And so much so, the disciples are like, Jesus, can you, can you teach us? We, we, want, we, we humbly submit ourselves under you as students. And this is the lifelong journey of being a Christian. It's like, I'm forever a student of prayer, learning to do it, period, and learning to do it in a meaningful way. The Bible calls uh, this praying in the spirit. That's where we really want to get. All right, but, but notice too that they're like, Jesus, teach us to pray. Like, not teach us to preach. Not teach us to do that whole thing where you, where you walk on water. That's a, that's a cool party trick, and we learn that. Not Jesus, teach us to heal or, or teach us to cast out demons or, or whatever the case may be. Lord, teach us to pray. We see that prayer is at the source of everything else in your life. We see that's the secret. Jesus modeled this. Now, can I say who else modeled this? Paul, as we read his prayer here in Ephesians 3. The same is true of Paul. Paul was a man who lived a prayer-driven life. You see this all throughout the book of Acts, especially, where Paul is, is praying through everything that comes his way. Um, he, he, he didn't power through life. He prayed through life. Just sit on that for a second. He didn't power through his trial. He didn't power through his deficiency. He didn't power through his difficulty. He didn't power through his theological challenges. He prayed through them. Paul, Paul lived, Paul lived a, a prayer-driven life. This is Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I, I love this. If you're like new to the Bible and like, I want to start memorizing verses of the Bible, you're welcome. Here you go. Commit this to memory. Maybe one of the most important that you could. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, three words so powerful. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Paul has found in his life that the communication with God as an ongoing regular thing, there's different kinds of prayer. If we had more time, we'd dive into this. There's secret prayer, there's corporate prayer, there's contemplative prayer, there's sometimes there's Nehemiah prayers. You know those Nehemiah prayers that sometimes you're just like, Lord, help me. When you're walking into that relationship conversation, that's a prayer. Throwing that up to you, Lord. You see me? I see you. Okay, let's go. All right. But Paul said, no matter what form prayer takes in your life in communication with God, let it be ongoing and always. It's an on, listen, it's an ongoing conversation with God. We never end the call. Do you know what I'm saying? He's always on the line and it's living from that place. Now, I think of prayer and I look at Paul's life and, and my own life and what, what we see with Jesus the illustration I have for, for that kind of powering, th rather than powering through, praying through life and how that actually gives you a power, I think of like, this is what came to mind was this family bike ride <laughs> that we took last week. We're finally at the stage with all of our kids and their bike riding abilities <laughs> where we can go on family bike rides. Um, 
Evie and Judah, the older ones, they're, they're off the training wheels. They're zipping ahead, and most of our bike rides are me catching up to them and screaming words like stop. Nice words, okay? Don't get afraid. Like car, you know. Um, car, that's usually the biggest one. Car, all right. Um, or duck. We have like more ducks in my neighborhood than cars. Um, and duck. <laughs> okay. Um, Penny, still on training wheels. But so it's like she's at that stage in her training wheel journey, in her athletic you know, development as a cyclist, where she can go fast enough to come along, but it's just slow enough that it's miserable as a family bike ride. Do you know what I'm saying? Can I just be honest? Okay, let's just, we're talking about the pace of the, of the Peloton ride here, okay? Um, so usually what happens is like, okay, yay, it's like family bike ride, which is like, we're going two miles an hour, we're like kind of, okay, here's Penny. And so also the thing that happens with Penny is about two minutes in, she like, she has to ride the bike. We got rid of the seat on the back and everything. We were like, we're, we're all into this for her. She, I think she was the one that's like, take the seat off your bike. I'm pedaling, okay? Um, just like that too. But uh, another thing that happens is two minutes in, she'll go, I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm like, Penny, our house is right there. Like, like we just left, okay? And so this new thing that I do is I, I pedal alongside of her, and when she gets tired, I grab her handlebars, and I could use probably the workout, so it's like extra work for me, and I pedal, and I, I pull her along, and... It's amazing the pace that we get. I mean, we're, we're a full-on, you'll see us like zip by. Like, what was that? Ricky Bobby style. Like, that was the Lundy family, all right? Um, and, and so I think of that a, a lot of, of what I've found prayer to be in my life. Prayer, what a picture of this. Prayer is like we come alongside the Father. And his hand's right there, and he grabs onto us, and he pulls us forward. He gives us a power to go further than we could ever go on our own. We see that in the life of Paul. And so, you know, I, you know me, I like to take a long time to talk about stuff like this. So let's, let's, let's get into the text. I wanted to start with this, though. Maybe just a quick evaluation this morning. We're going to study Paul's prayer here. Um, where would you place yourself this morning as you think about communication with God, the value of it? It's important. What kind of person are you when it comes to prayer? Are you a prayerless person? We'll make up some words here. A prayerish person or a prayerful person. Maybe today you go, you know what, to be honest, I'm, I'm prayerless. Um, almost zero to, to, to no, like barely any, if any, communication with God. I don't communicate with God. No prayer. All power through. Others of us are, we're prayerish people. I'd love to say that I'm a prayerful person, prayer-driven, grabbing onto the Father, and he's pulling me along every day of my life. But if I'm honest, I tend to be um, a circumstantially dependent prayer person. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm like Penny. And I pedal on my own, and this is what happens when I have her. Like, we get going along, and then once she feels like, even though I'm the one doing all of the work, she, she, she thinks that it's her because she's still pedaling while I'm doing it for no reason. And she goes, no, dad, I got it now. And she'll let go and it'll be back to her own powering through. I think this is often true of my life. You know, when I really, when prayer's needed, I pray. When I'm dependent, when I'm, when I, by the way, I'm always dependent, but when I recognize my desperation for something, 
It's amazing how, how much more I, I start praying. That's a prayer-ish person. It's not prayer without ceasing. It's prayer when the circumstance presents prayer. It's hard to sustain a, a strong relationship with God like this. I felt that. Uh, and the goal is we want to be prayerful. We, we want to be driven along by the presence of our Father. We want to be pushed further by his faithfulness in our lives. And so we learn from Paul. Here in this passage, let's look at these key aspects of Paul's prayer. We're going to study this prayer, go back through it now, and let's see if we can learn to become more prayerful people based on Paul's prayer here in this passage. Write this down. There's three big sections of this great prayer that Paul prays. There's the approach, there's the ask, and there's the amen. Three key parts of Paul's prayer. The approach, the ask, the amen. Let's press through this. Let's pray through this, actually. Sorry, forgive me. The, that was a joke, but let's just keep going. The, the approach, the approach. It starts with the approach. The approach, the ask, and the amen. Let's look at the approach. Here's the approach in Paul's prayer. Not so much how he approaches prayer as much as how he approaches God in prayer. Here's, here's how Paul approaches God in prayer. He says, for this reason... I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. This is Paul's approach. He approaches the Father saying, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three ways that Paul approaches the Father. In this section, Paul approaches the Father, excuse me, let me reset this. Paul approaches the Father theologically, he approaches God in prayer humbly. This is really important for our prayer lives, and he approaches God relationally. He comes before God first theologically. I want you to notice this. Paul uses theologic, theologic as he comes before the Father. Notice the first thing he says in prayer. He says, for this, what? Reason. I bow my knees to the Father. This is a really important insight. Paul has been spending three whole chapters led by the Spirit of God to unpack the revelation of what God has done and said and revealed through his son, Jesus. Theology. Theology is the, the truth about who God is. Theology proper, we could say. But even theolo theology uh, generally, the, the truth of God. And Paul says, for this reason, I love that Paul doesn't see prayer as something that's merely emotional that's merely feeling driven. It's not merely like this, this heart level spirit thing only. It's as Jesus said, true worship is spirit and truth. Paul comes before God based on reason. He uses his mind. In fact, it, it's what Paul is thinking about that drives him to prayer. We could say it this way. Paul's understanding of God through his word has been the basis here of Paul's prayer. Paul is praying according to what God has revealed about himself. This is such an important truth that, that we must adopt when we approach God. We don't want to, now here's what's beautiful. Anybody who approaches God, God is there like, come to me. I welcome you unto myself. God, God is not waiting for you to figure all the deep truths out before he welcomes you to himself. But as he brings us near to himself, one of the things he does is he begins to reveal himself to us. So that when we pray, we pray, listen closely, according to his will and not our own. We pray according to his word. We pray according to his character. We, we pray according to his truth. This is one of the main things Jesus modeled. 
Jesus prayed not just emotive, kind of like assumptive prayers. He prayed theological prayers. It's amazing how dynamic a prayer life can be when, it, when, when a prayer life is marked by bringing God his word. Saying, Lord, this is what you've said about yourself. This is what you've said about my situation. This is what you've said about your church. This is what you've said about my life. There's something to prayer when you bring God's word right to the center of it. As opposed to just kind of praying whatever we want, whatever we feel, whatever we think, trying to get God to bend to our plan or get God to bend to our understanding of him. So this is first. Paul approaches God theologically for this reason. Paul is thinking about what's true what God has revealed, and that's the basis of his prayers. He also comes before God, we said, humbly. He says, for this reason, I, what does he do? I bow my knees to the Father. Look at this posture in prayer. Paul is describing a physical posture that's reflective, ultimately, of a spiritual posture. This is called... Um, Body language, right? Body language. We communicate to God with our words, but how many of us know this, that we all communicate with our bodies, with our actions, right? When we gather here in worship, we, we sing to God with our, our mouths, but we also communicate to him when we lift up holy hands. It's body language. It matters. It, it communicates something. Like, it's something that I've noticed, too, about, like, preaching and gathering. When I, when I teach, you know, a lot of times people think, like, we're gathering in a room and there's one person communicating, it's the preacher. No, we're all communicating. I notice this a lot as a youth pastor. Like, you're communicating to people that are communicating back to you, maybe not with their words, but, like, that sophomore who's like this when you're preaching, he's like, what's up, what do you got to say? Teach, Mr. Preacher. There's something, listen, there's something about communicating to God with your body language. There's a, there's, there's a body language that comes to church that has a Bible open, that has a notepad, or has your phone there to take notes. There, there's, there's, a, there's a body language that communicates, I'm, I'm ready and, and waiting for God to speak to me. I can tell you how many people I've heard um, critique or complain about their pastor at some other church, never this church, some other church. <laughs> and... and as they complain about, man, I just don't feel like I get anything out of this or that. It's like, well, what, what's your posture? Do you sit there like waiting for something to go wrong? Do you sit there judging the message or are you there letting God's word judge you with a posture of receptivity to the Holy Spirit? There's something about posture. It communicates something to God. And, and so that's what Paul is saying here. I bow my knee. This communicates something, doesn't it? You know, Daniel in the Bible made a habit, the Bible tells us, to approach God through kneeling prayer three times a day. That communicates something. Maybe right now you're like, I don't even know where to start with prayer. You, maybe you're like, I don't even know how to communicate with God. Yes, you do. Here's how you can communicate with God three times a day. Just get on your knees before him. That's communicating to God. You know what you're saying? I need you. I'm coming before you. You are God, I'm not. You're higher than whatever I'm, I'm going through. In fact, I'm submitting myself to you. And maybe your prayer life starts with you just coming there and reading the Psalms on your knees. Maybe there's a couple words. Maybe you ask the Holy Spirit to give you some help. That's what the Bible says, that the Spirit helps in our times of, of weakness when we don't know what to pray. But this is communication to God, humble communication. This, this external posture of humility is communicating an internal posture of humility. And that, that's really important too. As Paul approaches God, 
notice he's not standing up expecting, listen to this, God to bow to his will. He says, no, I bow to God. Sometimes prayer is like we treat God like a, in prayer like a, like a cosmic uh, vending machine, you know what I'm saying? Lord, I'll put the prayer in, here's the coins, and I want this from you. And really what we're doing is we're saying, God, bow to my desires and my will. The goal of prayer is not to get God to bow to our will. The goal of prayer is to more align our hearts and lives with his. It's to bow to him. It's to submit ourselves to him. Some of us, we've been praying with an upright posture, and maybe we just need to switch that in our lives this week and just say, God, I'm going to start coming before you. I'm going to start the morning on my knees with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break away midday. Maybe I have just a short moment in my day, and I'm going to get on my, I'm going to physically posture myself to communicate to you. And then I'm going to end my day on my knees before you. Paul approached the Lord theologically according to the truth of God. He didn't bring his assumptions. He let God's word inform his prayer. He approached God humbly. He bowed before him as a posture of his heart and submission. And then lastly, Paul approached the Lord, and this is where it all comes together and matters most. He approached the Lord relationally. For this reason, I bow my knees, notice this, to the Father. The, the phrase, there for this reason, that we talked about actually can be connected to a couple of verses prior. There, there's a specific theological truth that Paul is holding in his mind, that he's communicated. And, and I love this. Paul's communicated this gospel truth, and, and that gospel truth has produced prayer in his life. It's what all theology should do. Okay, theology is not just to pack our brains with like comparative knowledge. Look what I know more than you. Uh, all theology should ultimately lead to doxology, which is praise and worship. And, and so this is what's amazing. All throughout this, this, um, this letter, Paul has been communicating the incredible gospel truth that no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, religious or irreligious, Jew or Gentile, poor or rich, no, you're, you're a human. And no matter who you are, through Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, you can be adopted into the family of God, which not only means that you have new brothers and sisters, but it means this, that God is your father, you're his kid, he's your dad. Romans 8, 16, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit's power of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. He's my dad now. Jesus taught us to pray this way, didn't he? Lord, teach us to pray. He says, okay, pray like this. Our, what? Father in heaven. I'm coming before my Father. This is a picture of God as a, as a greater dad than you have ever experienced or could ever imagine. Maybe you struggle to imagine because of your experience. But he's a good, 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 good father. He's the best kind of dad you could ever desire. And the, the beautiful picture is Paul's, Paul's been communicating that. And Paul says, because God is my dad, for this reason, I bow my knee to him. I come before him. Listen, the idea that, that you become a son or daughter through the gospel shouldn't just be filed away into your head. The fact that God is your father and, and because of who he is as a dad should cause you to come as near to him as possible. 
It should make you go, this is my, I'm coming to him. I'm approaching him as his own child. This has been the theme. I just want to point this out, then we'll move on. Paul has been emphasizing this idea that through Jesus, we have access by one spirit to the Father. This is what Paul is unpacking. It's the next chapter where he says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, this is true over your life today. This is the gospel, good news for you and I. In him, in Jesus our Lord, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. I mean, who could come before God like that? I mean, think about a king in some kingdom. Like, who could ever come and bother a king at any hour of the day and say, hey, I have need of you. I'm coming before you. The only person we could ever dare imagine would come before an authority like that would be the king's child. That's my dad. I have access to you. Like, some of us, the reason why we don't pray it is because we don't realize the access we already have. And, and, and for some of us, here's the problem. We think of prayer like this. Because of maybe our experience with our dads, whatever it is, maybe we're used to a partially accessible or full-on unaccessible father. And so we think of prayer kind of like tapping God on the shoulder, like, dear Lord, and he's like, what? What do you want? Sorry, I was over here making stars. What's up? Hey, it's like... It's like we, we imagine that prayer is like this getting God's attention. The, here's the faulty thinking in that theology. You, listen, are not the initiator of your relationship with God. He is. So prayer is not about, let me initiate a conversation with God. Prayer is about God is initiating a conversation with you. He's declared his love for you. He's displayed his love on the cross. He's brought you as near as a child to a parent, and he's given you access to him, and he's waiting and willing and ready to hear from you, to respond. Paul comes before the Lord. He approaches him theologically. He approaches him humbly. Paul also approaches relationally. For this reason, I bow my knee to the Father. The next thing we see is the ask. We have the approach and then we have the ask. What is it that Paul prayed for? And this isn't a conclusive list. I think uh, of what to pray for. I think the Bible says like in everything, pray, pray about everything. You know, don't be anxious for anything, but pray about everything. So there's no, you know, there's no challenge too small to, for God that we shouldn't pray for. I think the Lord's Prayer is a great, when you go through the Lord's Prayer and he, Jesus talks about praying for our physical needs, our spiritual needs, I think that's a great um, filter for our prayers if you look at the Lord's Prayer. But let's, I wanna look at specifically something very telling that, that Paul was praying for. And maybe we look at our own lives and kind of see, is this something I'm praying for? Okay, here's the ask. Here's Paul's prayer request, okay? He doesn't say, unspoken. Here's what he says, okay? Sorry, I grew up in Christian school, and that was like a thing. We got six unspokens back there, and we're going to pray for Billy's dog. Okay. That was unnecessary. I apologize. Let's, let's read the prayer. Let's look at Paul's ask. Look what he prayed for. I love this. Here's Paul's prayer. Paul prays for this church that God would grant them, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might, through his spirit in the inner man. He prays that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. He prays that you would be rooted and grounded 
in love. His, here's his prayer for this church. He prays for them that they would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. He prays for them that they would be filled with the fullness of God. This is Paul's prayer request for them. Um, if I could summarize what Paul's prayer request is into three words, it's this. Paul prayed for them that they would have more of God. More of God. This is called holy discontentment. Um, most of the time, we don't pray for more of God because we're too busy asking for more of other things. Myself included. Oftentimes, the reason why we don't ask for more of God is because as humans, we have this broken thing about us where we tend to have a disordered sense of contentment in life. Do you know what I'm talking about? A disordered sense of contentment. Paul, Paul teaches this. Paul teaches godliness with contentment is great gain. Learning to be content with what God's given, to be thankful. This is, this is holy, holy discontentment. You're, you're content with your life, but you're never content with what you have in God in a holy way. You never say, God, I've had enough of you. Thank you. Thank I, Your love, I've got it. Your strength, set. The fullness of God, yeah, I've been had the fullness of God. I'm filled up with the fullness of God. No, see, our tendency is to say, God, I've had enough of you, but I need more of this. And Paul's like, no, flip that. Say, God, I have just enough in you, in life, but I need more of you holy discontent. I'm not satisfied with what was done yesterday. I'm not satisfied with even what I've already experienced. God, this is a beautiful thing. And listen, this is not a greedy thing. Like I need more of you, God. No, no. This is about aligning your life with his will for you. Do you get this? This is about saying, God, I want more of what you want for me. That's what this is. There's something to praying those prayers. You know, James says like, be careful that you don't in your prayer life ask amiss. But, but pray according to the will of God. Say, God, I, I want more of what you want for me. Again, he's a father who has access, uh, who's given you access. He's accessible to you. And when you come before him, you're not trying to convince him to answer your prayer. Do you get that? Jesus is like, don't do, that's what the Pharisees do. They're like, they do like the whole song and dance. Thou art my father in heaven. I have behaved this week. Please, would you grant me according to my request? Jesus is like, don't do that whole thing. Your father knows what you need even before you ask him. So just come to him and agree with him and say, God, I want more of what you want from me. I'm telling you, something will change. When we begin to pray that way, we come into the access and we say, God, I don't just want what I want, I want what you want. What you want is gonna be better than what I want. And so that's what Paul prays. He prays for this church that they would have more of, of God's strength, so what he wants for you, more of his strength in your life, more of his love, more, and more of his fullness. He prays for more of his strength in their life, more of his love, and more of his fullness. This is the ask. It's the prayer request. He, he prays first for more of God's strength. What a prayer. What a prayer to pray over our lives, over our families, over each other, over our spouses, over our friends. What a prayer to like literally pray over one another. There's something about that. I've been boosted along in life um, 
by people who come alongside and they just acknowledge and they just assume that life is hard. Like I try to do this, by the way, this is important. Assume that everybody you're talking to is living from an encouragement deficit. Just assume it (laughs) and just come alongside and pray strength over them. I guarantee you there's nobody that you could say, hey, can I pray strength over you? They're gonna be like, no, I'm good. I'm strong in the Lord and the power of his might. What's good? You guys eat anything? (laughs) Everything's fine. I'm also a parent. (laughs) Just assume that everyone else is just like you in need of more of God's strength. Paul prays that they would have more of God's strength. Strengthened, I love this. Here's what it's according to, the riches of his glory. He's the source of our strength. We're strengthened, notice where, in the inner man. I love that. It's not a physical strength. This is a spiritual strength. This isn't a strength that manifests itself in knowledge and works and action. It's an internal resilience that God puts within us. The source of it is joy in him that carries us along. And here's, here's how Paul unpacks it, that Christ, this is part of the same sentence and same prayer request, that, he would, that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. So Paul paints this picture of a life that is empowered with the riches of God, the presence of God. And he says it looks like this mysterious work where like Christ, who we celebrate is resurrected, he's seated at the right hand of God, but check us out, he, the risen Christ, wrap your mind around this, comes to dwell within your heart through faith. That's the strength. The the Christian life is not just Jesus as a teacher on the outside giving you rules. The Christian life is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Unlike any other major world religion, which has a founder and a teacher, and you, you you live according to their teachings, it's only the Christian gospel that says the founder and teacher empowers you to do what he's called you to do and told you to do. This is strength. The key word here, I think, is faith. Because this is where strength comes from. Strength in God comes from acknowledging our weakness and then trusting in his. And sometimes you don't know what the strength of God feels like until you've exhausted all of your own. And you're like, I just don't have it. That's why Paul says that when we're weak, we're what? We're strong. Weakness is, Paul says, is actually a gift of grace. You ever notice that? Maybe you're like, I've been asking God for strength that he's making me weak. That's his strength. (laughs) That's you coming to the end of you so you can come to the beginning of him and just say, I need more of you, Lord. More strength. Notice the next thing, more love. This is the ask, more love. Paul prays that you would be rooted, I love this, and grounded in love. He basically just uh, gives a vision for, I think what we all, what Jesus certainly wants for our lives as a church, as Christians, that you know, Paul says this is what spiritual maturity is. First Corinthians 11, Paul just goes to town. Paul just brutally assaults every religious definition we have of maturity. What you do, what you know, your spiritual gifts, all these different things. And Paul's like, yeah, that's all, that's all nice. That's all good. Really nice. Yeah, I love it. But if you don't have love, like it all profits you nothing. Like, love is the primary fruit of the Spirit. Love is the ultimate display of a mature Christian. And so he, he kind of gives a great picture of this. He's, he uses an agricultural analogy of the Christian life, and he uses a 
architectural analogy. So the agriculture is like that we're rooted in love. Isn't that beautiful? So we're people who have our roots deep in the love of God and the fruit that is born out of that is a love for God and a love for others. Or he uses the, the grounded language, architectural, to say like we're founded upon the love of God and everything that's being constructed, if it's anything other than the love of God, we're, we're gonna have a faulty foundation, right? We're not rooted and grounded in law. We're not rooted and grounded in performance. We're not rooted and grounded in experience. We're rooted and grounded in the love of God. And we build our lives upon him. This is a beautiful picture of what, I mean, really, of, of what the only spiritual win is as a Christian. You know, it's like in 20 years, you look back on like a legacy of a community like Solus, it's like, well, the question's not gonna be, like, how much did they know? You know? It's like, how much did they love? How much did they actually have affection in their hearts for God and people? How much did they give their lives for their community and their neighbors and their family and each other? Here's how Paul says that's gonna happen. The way that we become more rooted and grounded as these buildings and trees of love is God gives us more comprehension. This is amazing, that you would know what is the width, length, depth, and height of God's love. He's like, so here's how you become more loving. You begin to explore the width, the length, the depth, and the height of God's love. That's where love comes from, knowing his love. And this is really interesting. Paul's like, I pray that you would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. It's like, so do I quit before I'm ahead? Like, what do I, what? To know what can't be known, go for it, you know? This is a beautiful paradox. Paul is talking about the endlessness of the end of God's love, the, the endlessness of God's love, the journey that never ends. Um, Paul says God's love is, there's a width to God's love. There is a wideness to God's love that passes what you think you know about his love right now. Um, can we say that God's love is wider than we make it. We, we're, we tend to be like, these are the people that God lets in. These are the people that God loves. We narrow out God's love. And, and John 3.16 tells us how wide God's love is. For God so loved the people that you approve in this world. No. He, he says he loved the world, and then he says he, there is actually one condition on, on the, there's a name of the kind of person that can come into God's love that whosoever, that's what you're called. What about me? Are you a whosoever? I think so. Whosoever, see how wide that is? Like, isn't the story of Jonah a great display of this? Like, God's love is wider than we make it. He loves, he loves your enemies. Ooh. Your political enemies, your relational enemies, your cultural enemies. God loves his enemies. Exhibit A. His love is, his, listen, his love is wide enough to include you. What is the thing that's made you unworthy or incapable of that love? Well, know the width, know the length. I love this one, the length of God's love. Surely God's love has extended long enough for me, right? You ever felt that way? I mean, I've been, ta I've been resorting to God's love for like 15 years now. Anybody else? Think, well, if it wasn't for his love, am I allowed to keep saying that when I keep sinning? That still goes, right? Paul's like, his love suffers longer than you think. The length of God's love. 
the height of God's love, the depth of God's love. I think the depth of God's love is an interesting thing to think about where it's like, you think you've hit the surface, but you, no, you're scratching the surface. Um, his love is deeper than our own understanding. If today you come in here like, oh my gosh, I get it, God loves me. No, you don't get it. It's deeper than you think. It'll go to greater depths than you could ever imagine. Um, and his love is higher. It's higher than any other love. There's no love in this world that's on par with the love of God. That's why John says, don't love the world. Like, why, what are you doing loving the world? That, that, that's not a reciprocal love that's gonna satisfy you. He who loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. See, it's about the love of the Father. There's nothing like the love of the Father. And then lastly, he prays for more of God's fullness, that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Paul is speaking here to sanctification. Um, through Christ, you have eternally all of God. That's good news. There's not one part of God that Jesus didn't purchase over your life. But Paul is talking about how that's worked out here in the day-to-day -day and how um, there, there's a kind of life that we can live that's like, it's, it's got God. He's in it. He's there. But is it the fullness of God? Think about your spiritual life today. Think about who you are today. Are you someone that's marked with pieces and portions of God? Or are you someone that has all that the gospel has come to give you, has all that Jesus has come to give you by his spirit, the fullness of God. Like to think that God didn't send his son Jesus to give us some of himself, but God sent his son Jesus to give us all of him. And for us to live filled with all the fullness of God. You know, I, as I was thinking about this, and I think, because I try to internalize this and think about my own life, I don't like to preach when I don't eat, you know? And, and I'm meditating on this, and I'm like, oh, you know, the fullness of God in my life is often hindered by the fullness of Andrew, the fullness of me. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's like, God, I'd love to be filled with you, but I got to make some room because I'm pretty full of me. I'm pretty full of what I want and what I like and what I approve and what I desire. And sometimes, the, here's sometimes how the fullness of God fills our lives. We, we have, we've had enough of ourselves. You ever, you ever been there? You ever had enough of you? You're like, I've just had enough of him. Okay, just had enough of that guy <laughs> and how he screws things up. And, and that's a great place to be. You come to the end of yourself and you say, God, I want more of you. This is what Paul prays. Now, we'll close with this last part because this brings us to prayer. Personally, we're gonna transition to a time of prayer. I want you to see this last part, which is the amen. The amen. Paul models the approach. He models the ask. He's asked for more of God, more strength, more love, more of his fullness. And then here's Paul's amen. Now, when, when we say the word amen, that's not, you know, that's not an abracadabra word. It's not like what you say, so the prayer's officially like signed and sealed and delivered. Like God's like, oh, I didn't, I actually didn't hear your prayer. You forgot to say amen at the end of it. So return to sender, okay? I'm sorry, <laughs> right? Amen is, is, is a, a, it literally means let it be. We're saying, God, let these things be. Let this be true. Yes, it's agreement. 
And, and so notice how Paul, like, I think this is maybe what keeps a lot of us from prayer is we've prayed before, but we just have, we've, had, we've been unsettled in prayer. But I want you to see kind of how Paul sends his prayer to God. Here's his, his view of God as he gives his prayer request to the Lord. Here's his amen. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that works in us, he, he wants to do this stuff in us. To him be the glory. In the church, by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul has prayed this prayer, and here, here's where he concludes. Here's how he sends his prayer with two now to hymns. He, he prays and he goes, I'm praying, and I'm going to say amen, confident, number one, that God is able. God, I don't just see your ear hearing my prayer. I know your heart is for me, but I have a high view of you. You're greater than the thing I'm praying for. And Paul says here, he's so great that like, not only does he answer our prayer requests, he's able to, he's able to do abundantly all we could ever think to ask him. So it's like, God, will you answer this? He's like, no, I'll do much more than that. <laughs> Above and beyond. Maybe today our prayer life just needs to come back to God's ability. God, you're able to set me free. God, you're able to pour out your love on my life. I just see who you are. I'm not gonna live into the lie that says I'm the problem. That's why God can't do this or that. No, no, no. You turn your attention away from yourself and you pray with a view of his capability. You say to you, you're able to do beyond anything I could ever conclude about you. And then notice the second part of his amen. To you be the glory, God. God, I'm not praying for my own glory, my own will. I'm just gonna submit. At the end of the day, I'm here as a vessel for your glory. My prayers are submitted to the desire of your glory. I just pray all things towards your praise and your glory.